Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. Don Davies is co-founder of Davies Crooks Associates, a mission-driven consulting and adaptive reuse development practice focusing on lowering climate impacts on the planet. He is the past president of MKA and has worked on projects in 18 countries and more than 50 major metropolitan centers while being an industry champion for resilient and adaptive low-carbon construction. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence. It's just a delight to have you with us here in our studio, Don. Dave, thank you for inviting me and bringing me into the conversation. I'd like to start right off. You know, there is a tremendous volume of conversation, dialogue, publishing, uh, thought leadership, and a bunch of dribble (laughs) mixed in between about carbon that's happening in the built environment. It's happening across society, across many industries. People are, are becoming attuned to the theme, though I fear there is, like often that happens in these type of communication waves, a loss of meaning and a confusion in the use of language when we start talking about these things. So we have terms like carbon offsets and carbon reduction and decarbonizations and carbon life cycles. We have all of this this ecosystem of language that's being created around this. I think it's all being done in a very sincere way, but it is raising a confusion. And when confusion enters, action drops because people don't know what to do. Talk to us a bit about how we navigate this field that we're so drastically interested in because we believe that it is the root of, I'll call it the root of all evil, (laughs) but it is also the root of all solutions when we're going to be getting to this idea of global warming and what's happening in the world. Dave, you know, you, you frame that question really well, talking about the carbon theme and the loss of meaning. Everyone is seen, and I, you know, I don't think there's anybody on the planet these days that can't say they haven't somehow been impacted by climate change. We feel it, we see it, it's starting to get to the point that it inconveniences us as a society, which means, unfortunately, uh, that's what it takes. We are starting to dial in and be aware and starting to take action. That's all great. But this is a topic that not only is it a rapidly evolving landscape, uh, most of us didn't go to school and learn uh, about this, especially the people in the decision making right now. And we don't have, uh, there's new terms, we don't have a common language, we're not all educated to what is it we are doing about this topic. And that that is totally at the heart of one of the biggest problems is getting everyone onto the same page so that we're at least having the same conversation to then decide what to do about it. You mentioned, you know, or, you know, one of the classics here is the conversation of reduction versus offsets. And to me, one of the interesting things there, it's not a either or, it's not a one compared to the other. Yeah, we actually need both. And that's one of the biggest problems in this whole carbon conversation right now. It keeps being it's carbon versus the economy, carbon versus something else. 
we need to find the win-win scenarios. And it's not always just about a versus or a loss. It's how do we work these things together? Uh, so frankly, we need action on multiple fronts. But even before we start the action, we have to get onto the same page of the conversation of what we're talking about. Most of what I find myself doing right now, honestly, is educating, uh, educating on topics, how we should talk about this so we can just create a common framework for conversations. Mm. This is so critical. A common friend of ours, Volker Buscher, who recently left Arup as their chief data officer, we've had many conversations about this same dynamic occurring in technology and data. He calls it digital plus data and how the terms have become so confused and now almost ambiguous that there is really an, a very positive, non-condescending way, a need to bring a new literacy to this field and what it means and what it, frankly, what it doesn't mean. It's almost what you're saying here about this whole ecosystem of carbon. A new literacy needs to be introduced so that we are on the same page. Especially around the data what we measure, how we measure, how we understand the data is a hugely missing component. Um, I chuckle when people use the term life cycle analysis and they do a 20 minute calculation and they show a number to eight decimal places because they got a data number uh, with no understanding of the uh, uncertainty or the, the um, accuracy of that number and anything but a life cycle analysis that they did some carbon accounting to come up with some math. And that's one of the biggest problems right now. It's it's easy to create an Excel spreadsheet and it's easy to come up with a number with a whole bunch of decimals behind it and feel like we've done something. But if the data isn't real, if we don't really understand the information we're looking at, uh, if we're misusing the terms that describe that data, it's apples, oranges, and grapefruits. And that's exactly why kind of education and getting uh, to some standards and getting on the same page of the conversation is is still kind of the building block of where we are today. And, and I think that's part of our problems you're speaking to is this pseudoscientific approach to things. We're inclined, maybe it's the dumbing down of our educational system or even in our industry, that we don't want to do the hard effort to get to what I call defensible conclusions. We're really quick to go the shortest point between two points is a, you know, a, a straight line. And so we just always take the straight line and the straight line may not always be accurate, nor is it often defensible. The end of the day, the, the scientific method calls on us to, to speculate, to validate, to calculate uh, but we have to be able to defend our outcomes, and so much of pseudoscience is indefensible. And, of course, when that is poked into and stakeholders who are uh, in the decision-making seats, whether that's financial decision, economic decision-makers, building decision-makers, et cetera, et cetera, when they realize that your data or your conclusions are spurious, you've suddenly lost your credibility but then it also see it seeds distrust, and as that distrust grows, you kind of get you kind of get blown off, right? When you bring your next argument, because it's an indefensible conclusion that is not tied to the stakeholder argument at the time. Is that making sense? What I'm saying? 
It totally makes sense. One of the things I have really jumped on the bandwagon with the last couple of years, and I was really pleased with what came out of our creation of the Embodied Carbon Calculator, the EC3 tool, is the focus, the attention on variability and uncertainty within the data. You know, so we're talking about carbon, and the more we treat carbon like dollars, but the more we also think about it as, in many cases, macroeconomic conversations where we are looking at trends, we have to speculate on the future, we have to make assumptions of uncertainty of information we don't have. We do that all the time in the economic space. Carbon is no different. It's just a different variable on how we're having the same conversation. But what we're lacking in the conversation on carbon today is actually sharing that uncertain, calculating our variability and uncertainty of the data, reporting it and sharing it. But that's exactly what we need to do to understand what we're measuring and what we're reporting. And when you do that, um, not only do we start to, to gain understanding of the information and what it really tells us and what it doesn't tell us, it gives us a quest to then go get better data and to improve the quality of what we're doing. And so, you know, the whole idea and designers really hate to do this because we like to be the experts that we say things and we make decisions and we explain that to our clients. And the last thing we want to tell our clients is, I don't know. But what the when you report the range of possible outcomes is a term I've been using for the combination of the variability and uncertainty of the data. What really happens in carbon is we can often early make very well informed, directionally accurate choices. It's not an absolute, but we can make directionally accurate choices to inform a decision making process. That's a value. As the design process goes on, the quality of the data can get better. We keep pushing for better quality data when we have an actual design that's done, when we can measure it, when we start asking for EPDs from the supply chain and they provide that information, we can get much more accurate on the information. Um, then we can start making more specific definitive statements, but that all comes from understand the variability in the data, report it, and then make it better. Makes so much sense. Speaking of data, you know, we can talk about the quality of data, but where I see it break down is that there's not a pre-set data strategy, in other words, or a construct for how we'll, how shall I say, uh, ingest the data, classify and or clean the data, and then curate the data so it's usable. And so far too many I have, uh, we talk about data lakes and data oceans and databases. I think most people have data garages, you know, where data just comes in and you just keep throwing it in the garage and uh, you can't park your car in there anymore and it just keeps piling up. And so data in and of itself is nothing unless that data is turned to knowledge and it becomes actionable towards understanding. How in your work that you have done have you thought about this structuring of data to ensure that we get viable conclusions from it? You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about the infrastructure that, that supports data viability. Absolutely. Well, it starts with getting everyone on this. It goes back to your first comment about communication and language. It starts with getting everyone on the same page. What are we measuring? How are we measuring? And how are we reporting it? I may go really deep and have some really, really accurate data, 
on my project. But if I want to compare that to someone else and be able to use that, I need someone else to be doing the same thing. And I need to understand the quality of their data and reporting it. And so part of this, the most important part is, is we need to have some common language, some common constructs of how we are collecting and managing this information. And then we all need to be doing it the same. There's some really exciting work happening. There's some developers that are out in front leading on this. You know, one of the reasons that the Heinz and Body Carbon Reduction Guide was written that was published last year was at least for that developer in their construct of their projects, they've created this framework that they've said on our projects, we're going to look at the data this on carbon this way. We're going to measure it this way. We're going to use it to make decisions in this way. And here's our guide of how to do that. And they publish that out there for everyone to look at for who works on a Heinz project. But, but one of the reasons they made that a public document is they said, here's a model that uh, everyone could start to look at of how we work with this data. It doesn't have to be exactly the Heinz document, but at least it's a, it's a well-thought framework from schematics to construction administration of how we use this information to help try to further that narrative to get us on a similar page. I, I'm curious, in the Heinz story, and you may be able to, to, to articulate this, but here is a traditional large global development firm who has for many years not done that. And then they made this shift to becoming data and carbon aware and then beyond aware, uh, they're becoming focused on this. What what might have been the triggers that moved them in that direction? It's, it's a good question uh, because I think it's something that is going and is repeating itself right now in many different places. It started with, there was a generational shift. Heinz is an amazingly thoughtful, disciplined, well-organized international developer and property manager. But there was a change in the guard. The next generation came in and Jeff and Laura Hines have taken the business over. And they said, you know what? We want to position ourselves for what comes next. We think carbon is important and we're going to value it. And so at the very highest levels of the company, the next generation said, this is a priority for us. Let's act. So it started with that most senior level motivation and interest. The other part is their clients were asking for it. They, they were being pushed by their tenants. They were being pushed by the people that they're looking to get money from to go into their buildings. And they found themselves playing defense on a topic. They don't like that. They like to be leading. They like to be out in front. And they said, you know what? Let's stop being reactionary. Let's get out in front. Let's figure this out. Let's figure out how to drive. And the alignment of those two things together are exactly what's driven Heinz to where they are now. So you you spent a number of years with Magnus and Clementic. You did an amazing amount of, of time there. And you were serving as its president for many years. And then not so long ago, you made a change and decided, I want to do something else with my life at this later stage. I call it moving from success to significance in a deeper and more meaningful way. And you've, you have such a fantastic 
a relationship with the founders at MKA, and I'm sure your relationships will sustain for many years to come, but you made a pivot. What, what in the world is Don Davies giving himself to going forward? So what am I doing? Yeah. So after 33 years at MKA, as MKA's president, as you said, I was spending a lot of time on this embodied carbon. I found it being a focus and a motivation of what I wanted to do. And when you think back about, uh, or look at my own career, why did I get into the engineering profession? I want to solve problems. I want to solve societal problems. I want to help figure out how to make a difference. And climate change, frankly, that is the problem of our generation. What do we do about it? How do we act on it? Where are we going to go? Um, it's why I'm kind of as passionate and have been spending the time as much as I have. To be honest, this Heinz Embodied Carbon Guide and its writing uh, definitely had an impression and influenced me that I felt like I had more to contribute and could offer more than from the perspective of just being a structural engineer. So although it's a highly influential, I, you know, prejudice, think one of the best structural engineering practices around, certainly focused on engineering excellence. Um, I wanted to do more from a perspective of more than just the engineering perspective of what we could do. So I've left MKA with this focus to work on decarbonization of the built environment with a focus on leverage at the highest levels that I can to be an advisor to help drive where we're going. So it's working as a consulting practice, but it is advising. In fact, one of my current activities right now is helping Heinz develop their embodied carbon strategy globally that they are then going to be rolling out over the next the next uh, one to two years. They're building a staff internally to work on this. And my job is to develop the system, uh, train those people and work myself out of a job, which to me is, is perfect. And uh, my goal is to do that and then and more. That is that is just wonderful. And, and it's a great mission to work yourself out of a job and move on. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Building Transparency at this point. Are you still connected there? I'm guessing you're continuing to serve in a, a leadership or board role there or advisory role? Absolutely. So Building Transparency, which is the, for those that don't know, this is the home of the EC3 tool and body carbon construction calculator. It's also the home at this point of the Tally LCA software. And uh, it's a 501c3. I am currently the board chair. Uh, Stacy Smedley is the executive director. And you know, Stacy is still the turbocharged driver of what's happening at Building Transparency. But the idea there is much of what we're talking about right here. Let's bring the data together. Let's demystify it. Let's put it in a common place so it's accessible to all. And then let's make it free so that we are not competing on the carbon numbers. We're on the same page of what that what the data is. It's how we use that data is where the competition is. And so, you know, the goal is to create the ecosystem uh, on a common platform for how we have this conversation about carbon and how we how we help this to inform a decision making process. EC3 continues to evolve as an industry leading tool for uh, environmental product declarations. It's basically a, a big fancy database 
uh, but it's totally open access and available. And then the LCA software, one of the big moves there is to create the data sets behind the LCA tool um, as an open access. So they're understood to create alignment between what's how those numbers are being recorded in Europe versus the United States. So we're having the same conversation. And then uh, create a common uh, platform for LCA discussions. So it is a common conversation. Those are two of the biggest initiatives, but there's a whole bunch of activity at Building Transparency that's just exciting to see. All of the work that is happening at the federal level with the the IRA and money that's coming into uh, embodied carbon has also become a huge accelerant for this topic in the United States. And uh, we're trying to be as supportive as we uh, possibly can in that space to the federal government in how this data gets looked at and considered. And my best describer, it's not a static topic. Building transparency is not a, oh, that's that's just a done thing. It's an evolution. And it's, it's, a, it's a 501c3 that uh, we basically created a platform and a forum to try to work on this data and make the data accessible. So you're also doing some work with the Climate Works Foundation. Tell us about what's happening there. Sure. This is super exciting. So the Climate Works Foundation is largely tech-driven money who are saying, we want to focus on the built environment. We want to accelerate change. And they have a laser focus that they are looking at concrete and steel just because it's a place that we can make tangible differences at scale. And um, I've just started a project looking at the use of low carbon concrete in a series of showcase projects. So they, ClimateWorks has a project to work with eight different departments of transportation across the country to accelerate bringing low carbon concrete mix designs into roadway projects. They have a blue ribbon task force of experts and material scientists that are working with those DOTs and their ready-mix suppliers to formulate concrete mixes that can be the next generation of how we do it. And they're breaking down the barriers of how to do that in the roadways. They asked me to do the same thing for vertical construction in the built environment. And so I've just started this project where I'm currently identifying and finding projects across the United States where we are going to try to responsibly de-risk the use of lower carbon concrete, and but bring it into these projects in a way that is thoughtful, that helps educate the industry on how to use it, and then write case studies to tell the story of what they are. And there's some really exciting opportunities of what this will happen, but we're looking at 30 to 60% reductions compared to the baseline mixes that might originally be used on those projects and what we could do. That's dramatic. That's dramatic impact. You know, the the challenges they gave me, which I'm always up for a challenge, is it has to be next generation. It can't be what we're already doing. And it has to be scalable. So it's not just the best of, of that was unique for that one project, but it can never be done again. It has to be ideas that we can um, scale and advance. And it's all about acceleration. How do we make this happen faster? How do we de-risk and advance the use of these new materials? 
And it's, it's, it's exciting because it brings me not only into exactly what I love to do, which is to optimize and be more efficient and find the win-win scenarios for developer clients. It's bringing me into working with a lot of these next generation materials that are coming out. And there is an absolute explosion in the material science space right now, more than I've seen in my entire career of next generation materials to be used, potentially used, uh, to make things like lower carbon concrete. We have to be really thoughtful of how we bring these materials forward. It can't just be the Wild West. We need to make sure that they are meeting ACI equations and that we're doing the right proper testing of these systems so that we bring them into the projects the right way. But it is, there's a lot of money coming into the space. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of youthful energy. Uh, and frankly, it's exciting. Don Davies, what a thrill to have you in our studio today. This has been fantastic. I think we're going to have to do this again in the near future to see how your new pivot is finding relevance out in the world and the impact that you're making. Thanks for joining me today. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.